Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblak. Hello and welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation. I'm Nathan Oblak and I'm once again joined by Ryan Aris and Dr. Joe Boot here in the Knox Cellar and it's been actually several weeks since we've all been together here in the cellar. Uh, Joe, you've been away doing some work in the UK and I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear about your trip and uh, I'd love it if you did that. But before you do that, uh, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, our annual Mission of God conference is happening Saturday, May 21st here in the Niagara region, Ontario, Canada. And we're, we're pleased to see that tickets are already selling quite quickly. And the topic for this year's conference is utopianism. And we'll be discussing the rise of utopianism in the West and our need to confront uh, these many ideas floating around in our culture with the truth of the kingdom of God. And our speakers have been finalized. Joe, you'll be a speaker at the conference, uh, as well as Andre Schutten. Uh, most of our listeners are familiar with him. He's been on the podcast numerous times spoken at many of our events and programs in the past. And we've also secured Graham Leach as a speaker. And, uh, you know, many of our listeners may not be quite as familiar with Graham Leach. Yeah, he keeps uh, a low profile. That's right. But we're going to change that. He's a fellow of the Institute, of course. <laughs> they, right. If they that's want to read right. about him, they can go on to our fellows page on, mm-hmm. the, on the website. That's right. Yeah, he's our fellow for biblical economics. And uh, really, that's why... Uh, we're particularly excited to have Graham here for this conference. Mm-hmm. He's coming um, out from the UK. That's right, coming from the UK. And I mean, with, with everything coming from the World Economic Forum and everything we're hearing about the Great Reset, uh, many of us are rightly concerned uh, about the future of the economy in the West. And uh, Graham's going to provide us with uh, a biblical and I'm sure very practical response to the, uh, these economic plans of um, all of the so-called elites. And... Um, yeah, we're, we're excited to have Graham join us here on the podcast in the near future as well. So That's look right. forward to that. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I would mention is the H. Evan Runner International Academy coming up June 5th to the 15th in Golden, British Columbia. And the program's now filling up very quickly, which we're pleased to see. But we do have some spots available. So if you'd like to register for the program or if you'd like to buy tickets to the Mission of God conference, please go to our website, EzraInstitute.com. So Joe, I mentioned you've been uh, you've been busy working away in the UK for the past several weeks. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your trip? Sure. Well, uh, I uh, I managed to uh, escape the clutches of the uh, of the Trudeau regime briefly. The, <laughs> That's and right. Got out of the People's Republic of Canada for a few weeks, and you um, came and back, and I managed yeah. to get back. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Trudeau followed you to the UK, and you were able to <laughs> <That's> <laughs> avoid right. him. So good That's on right. you. There were protests uh, um, outside Number Ten about his um, visit, uh, so much so that they had to bring him in a completely different entrance um, for his uh, trampling all over. Um, civil liberties. So uh, that that was actually quite interesting. Um, But I was there doing some speaking um, for the Wilberforce Academy and um, meeting with our associates and friends at uh, Christian Concern and and speaking to uh, their staff on the issue of Romans 13, which has been been uh, an issue over there too. Uh, There's a lot of these, we've experienced these last couple of years, a lot of these um, uh, favorite chestnut sort of out of context mm. um, 
proof text thrown around, right. you know, my kingdom's not of this world, mm -hmm. uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, obey, submit to the, your, the governing authorities without any sort of proper exegesis of those things, what they mean in terms right. of the, 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 the context of scripture and, and the biblical worldview. So I was dealing with those issues, talking about the globalism as well with um, Wilberforce Academy students, which was, which was a good time. And of course, as we've mentioned to our listeners in previous weeks, we're in the throes as a ministry of opening um, new offices mm -hmm. in the United States this year mm -hmm. and in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So I was there um, meeting with um, different people, different leaders, uh, and um, doing getting the groundwork done there for the launch of our office there later this year. So that went extremely well. So um, all of those things are now well in process. So excellent. Uh, if people go onto our website, they'll see the new locations tab, and in, right. and in the um, in the coming weeks and months, they're going to see um, new information appearing right. there. Right. Pretty soon, we'll fill that in with actual locations, addresses, details, uh, contact information yeah. and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. It's, so it was an exciting trip and it, and it was nice to be, uh, it was nice to have, uh, just briefly got away from the, uh, the sort of, in, you really do notice it. I mean, coming back in through the airport, mm. uh, you still had, uh, you know, multiple tests, tests before you leave and board the aircraft tests when you get, uh, mm. arrive and land. Um, and, uh, so, <clears throat> You know, in recent, what we'll say is the trip was in in recent weeks that it happened. Right. Um, uh, you know, these are uh, you just notice the, the 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 way in which Canada is mm -hmm. so out of step. Right. Um, now at this point with um, with with Europe, um, it's it's quite remarkable. But um, uh, at any rate, I'm thankful for a, for for an excellent trip and mm -hmm. uh, you know good good progress for the ministry. Great. Well, and we're glad to have you back. And, and you mentioned you spent quite a bit of time confronting some proof te texting that was happening over in the UK. Of course, that happens here as well. We've got our share of that here in Canada. <laughs> and uh, that actually might be a nice segue uh, into our topic for discussion. Ryan, did you want to uh, give us some detail on that? So, Joe, we're... Uh, what we're... happened while I was away, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you how much time we got. Well, Joe, you've been uh, you're 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 making the news. You're making the rounds. You're really getting uh, getting your name in uh, in some infamous you know, places. Infamous places. Any That's press right. is good press. And uh, <laughs> no, I mean it's uh, well, it started off complimentary. You're a some would say brilliant and influential uh, thinker. That's uh, that's how it started. But uh, well. The, That's a good uh, start. Did, well, it, did it keep going that way? <laughs> on the other hand, <laughs> okay, now we're getting to it. There's disagreement with everything you say and teach. Uh, <laughs> so there's uh, you actually you you show up uh, by name. The re the reason that we're referencing this so specifically is that you do you show up by name. The Ezra Institute shows up by name uh, in a recent sermon from. Uh, from a pastor here in Southern Ontario. Uh, his name is uh, Norm Miller of Redemption Bible Church down in, uh, in London, in Southern Ontario here. And he recently preached uh, mentioning Joe, mentioning the Ezra Institute in the context of a sermon on uh, titled Kingdom Theology. And what it, what it was, uh, which he acknowledged, is basically a, a concern that, uh, that they have had about theonomy. So we, we've been here before. 
we've got mm-hmm. to, we've we've seen objections we've seen questions and it's it's understandable in some ways if you've been if you've come up in you know 20th 21st century western evangelicalism the idea of theonomy is foreign and maybe a little bit weird like it it takes some uh it you you have to get on a slow drip to so to get your get your head around it in a lot of cases but there are well and it's a it's a loaded term i mean often there's a negative Mm -hmm. reaction to the word even if someone has absolutely no idea what it actually means right right yeah because there are there are assumptions baked into our Mm -hmm our brand of Christianity, or right. not ours, but the Western evangelicalism and mm. the, the type of Christianity here, assumptions about uh, the possibility of neutrality, the mm. inherent goodness and uh, elevated status of human reason. Uh, so the so the argument or the assumption goes that we don't have, or we don't, we're not uh, beholden to revealed law the revealed law of scripture mm-hmm. the objection runs that that was something for the nation of israel in that right. specific historical context right and we're, we're mentioning all of this because it's come up again but not everyone was listening the first time it seems <laughs> <laughs> so so share the nate, podcast yeah. <laughs> nate nate where do we want to uh Start with this. We've got we've got some clips that uh, that deal with, uh, or that raise some of these objections specifically. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, why don't why don't we just play the first clip that's loaded up here? And uh, I know both you and I are interested to hear how Joe responds to it. Sure. If my kingdom were of this world, what we just saw in Matthew, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Right? If this was a physical kingdom and my kingdom was physical of this world, then I would, my, 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 soul, my, my men would be fighting and I would call 72,000 angels. But he repeats again, my, but my kingdom is not from the world. That statement repeated twice, my kingdom is not of the world, must inform our kingdom theology. We must wrestle with the truths of the kingdom And each time that concept, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is used. My kingdom is not of this world. So what is the kingdom then? Jesus taught to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Jesus teaches all through that and and repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you remember, it's interesting, just this idea of kingdom. When Jesus began his public ministry, remember the Holy Spirit led him out in the wilderness for fast for 40 days, Right? And at the end of 40 days, what happened? Who came to tempt him? Satan, right? He tempted him three times. You remember the second temptation? Second temptation is recorded in Luke 4, 5 to 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, physical kingdoms. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He somehow supernaturally showed all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, Satan said to Jesus, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. Listen, listen, for it has been delivered to me. This is Satan talking. And I will give it to whom I will. If you will worship me, it'll all be yours. You want to talk about the physical kingdoms on earth? 
They actually belong to Satan. Now, Satan's under the control of God. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow. We see that in the book of Job and elsewhere. But for a time in this season we're in, he's been given the kingdoms of this world. So, of course, behind the governments and things in our world is a satanic influence. But Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. And the kingdoms of this world are actually under the authority of Satan. So when, when Satan says something, is it, uh, is it normal Christian practice? Is it advisable to take him at his word? <laughs> yeah, look, uh, boy. I mean, I, I, I listened to, to this when you, uh, when you sent, sent it to me to, to prepare for the podcast. When we were, I, I listened to this, this sermon through, and... Um, it's not easy to put into words the um, uh, the extent to which um, this well-meaning well-meaning pastor um, mauls scripture and misunderstands almost every point that and every text that he addresses. So, I think with a good place to start would be to say that um, Ryan, you articulated it well. Is that if you've not learn to think scripturally in terms of a scriptural world and life view about the meaning of the kingdom of God and the significance of the law of God. And if you haven't tested your presuppositions, right, if you haven't had the time or you haven't had the, um, the guidance to analyze your presuppositions, to exegete first your presuppositions, um, then you get into a world of trouble, mm-hmm. and that's where this uh, this this well-meaning pastor, who I've no doubt loves the Lord and 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 wants to share Christ with people, um, does simply doesn't understand what he is saying. And uh, when you bring a set of of, of um, inadequate philosophical assumptions to the Bible, you notice he kept talking about a physical kingdom, physical kingdoms, physical kingdoms. So you've got an immediately a false dichotomy at work in his thinking between the physical and the spiritual. Uh, this, this is a Greek notion. This goes yeah. back to the, the form matter, nat- the, um, the whole idea of a, an upper story of reality. I mean, how many worlds are there? You, you yeah. know, we talked about that during the, uh, our discussions about this podcast. I mean, mm-hmm. all of creation belongs to the Lord. And the Bible, when it talks about what is spiritual, isn't talking about a distinction between the spiritual and the material. That's why... The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, um, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When the Bible talks about us being spiritual, it's talking about the renewed life. It's talking about the regenerate life. It's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is contra the work of Satan. So there's the spirit that's at work in the children of God, and then there's the spirit that's at work in the children of disobedience. And that's the antithesis that we talk about all of the time as a ministry. There is structure and direction. There's Mm -hmm. the structures of creation, which are all created by God, and they're created good. The issue is the apostate direction of our thinking and our living in any of these different areas of life. Are they turned toward Christ and obedience and faithfulness, or are they turned away from Christ in rebellion and apostasy? And no neutral position. There's no neutral position in any area time. of life. This yeah. is what we say, and it's biblical, it's scriptural. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. the fundamentals of the biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. 
And if you are in rebellion, then you're in the kingdom of darkness. You're in spiritual darkness. But this notion that there is some sort of spiritual kingdom up here, which is the world of the church, prayer, personal devotions, and, and some, some evangelism. And then there's the material, physical world here. And that's mm. all nothing to do with really the kingdom of God. Right. This is the influence of Greek philosophy. He's not aware of it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand it. Uh, so we can have some sympathy there. You know, we, we don't want to be too harsh. He doesn't understand the things that are informing his interpretation of scripture. Um, but the, and, and so what happens then is that it comes through in his exegesis. So the second thing that's probably helpful to, uh, to, so we start there with this false dichotomy of material, spiritual. It's the whole body, soul, material, mm -hmm. spiritual. Faith is about this upper story of spiritual reality up here. It's not to do with the world of politics and education, culture. And I think a frustration that we might legitimately have with this is that here you've got an Ontario pastor who's effectively a neighbor mm -hmm. who can't take the time to write to the Institute pick up the phone before he names us personally in a sermon on a Sunday morning to understand what the issues are, understand properly the definite, listen to the material that we've put out there, read the material. We've got so many Google pastors in North America who think that research is Googling somebody's name, Googling a term, uh, rather than doing the real work of actually looking at what, and that's a shame. That that's mm -hmm. just that's just at the fundamental level of it's disappointing, right? That sure that that we're in that we're neighbors, we're fellow evangelicals in the life of the church, and before going public with sort of condemnations of the institute and everything else, they can't actually write or pick up the phone or or take the time to understand what's being said. Mm. So that's a, that's a second issue. A third issue is that. Terms get thrown around. You mentioned it, Nate, like theonomy, mm -hmm. uh, dominion, and these things. And it's like saying charismatic or evangelical. I mean, those are not; those are no longer self-defining terms, mm -hmm. right? You need to define your terms. What mm -hmm. does somebody mean by those terms? What's the what What are the um, what are the distinctions or the differences in the ways different people have understood those terms? So taking care to make sure that if you're going to use words like that that have become pejorative, I mean, let's face it, the word theonomy and theocracy, these have become pejorative terms mm -hmm. to sort of um, blacklist and, uh, and dismiss something without having to give it due consideration. Um, you need to take the time to define what we mean. Theonomy is not a, a, a uh, blanket teaching about the kingdom of God. Right, the as we've talked about before, the distinction in the scriptures between basileia, kingdom, and ecclesia, church. What does the kingdom of God mean in the Bible? It means the total will of God for His creation, His law order for every aspect of creation. That's the kingdom of God. It's the rule and reign of God in every aspect of creation, of which the individual, the family, the church, the school, and so forth can be a part. So the notion that you don't have a physical school or a physical family or even a physical church, mm -hmm. uh, I think is, you know, this the, the, we're in the realm of absurdity here and it's difficult to put it any other way. Right. So um, those terms need to be defined. Now, coming to this quickly, this first thing uh, here about, you know, whether we believe Satan or Jesus. 
I mean, here you have a situation where there's an attempt to exegete the temptation of Jesus as though what the devil is saying to Christ in the wilderness about the bread um, or about um, t- taking him up onto the, uh, a high place or whatever, and the devil misuses scripture. <laughs> that's what he does. And that's why, how does Christ respond to all the temptations of Satan? Interestingly, Norm, with the law of God. That's right. He responds with Deuteronomy. Right. The excitations from the law of God, from the word of God, to the lies and the deceptions and the twisting of God's word by the devil. Since when do we ever listen to Satan and say, oh, yeah, what a brilliant exegesis that was. Let's take, let's take what he's saying on board about his <laughs> claim to own the world. So what we're dealing with now is is two contrasting claims, right, Ryan? That's right. That's right. There are other claims of authority to rulership of the world in Scripture, aren't there? <laughs> I think there are. And so, so here you've got at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan twisting the Bible, uh, twisting and making actually not even, and, and making extra biblical claims for himself. And Christ the truly obedient son responding by rebuking him with the law of God, which Norm says is no longer applicable, Mm -hmm. which so many pastors say today is no longer relevant. It's no longer binding. So Jesus considered it binding when he was rebuking Satan Mm -hmm. because he quotes from the law of Moses to defeat the lies and deceptions and temptations of Satan. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So the second thing is Christ Jesus disputes the claims of Satan. So you've got the claim of Satan over here that everything belongs to him. But then you have you go through the cross, through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, where, it's, where we're told by Paul that he strips the principalities and powers of their authority and he makes an open spectacle of them, taking captivity captive in his train, which is all a political imagery of an emperor mm-hmm. bringing in into the city all of his captives. Because he's talking about, remember when Jesus talked about the strong man fully armed, guards his own house? But when one stronger than him comes in, he must overpower him. He binds the strong man so that he can plunder his house. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. That in his ministry, the strong man, yes, who has who is the father of lies, remember. So the mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. devil is called the lawless one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anti no, he is anti-law par excellence. So if you want to be lawless, you want to deny the law of God, you're joining Satan. Mm-hmm. Right. He's the lawless one. He's mm-hmm. the anti, he's anti-nomos, he's anti-law. And the lawless one uh, claims authority, claims uh, 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 a, 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 a kingship and an illegitimate authority over the totality of, uh, uh, of creation. And Christ refutes Satan, and through the cross, through the resurrection, he, takes, he, he binds the strong man in his ministry. That's what the kingdom of God actually is. He, he binds him up so that he can plunder his house. What's in Satan's house, the kingdom of darkness? Well, it's all the people that he's kept in bondage mm-hmm. to the fear of death, to guilt, sin, shame, all of their lives. At the cross, Christ makes an open spectacle of them. At the resurrection, the temple curtain, as you'll recall, well, there's, 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 uh, there's darkness over the land, there's earthquakes, the temple curtain is rent in two, so there's now access to God. So that uh, divide that is separating us because of the work of Satan is broken down. And then uh, on the cusp of the ascension, 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, what does Jesus claim? This is before his ascension and session to the seat of total authority at the right hand of God. Jesus says, uh, we're familiar with it in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and disciple nations. Not disciple a few people in, in it and, and brands plucked from the burning. Mm-hmm. Literally, the Greek language tells us, disciple nations. Mm-hmm. And not simply people in the institutional not, church. Either. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Disciple nations. Mm-hmm. And then he teaches his people to pray. And how does the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who Revelation 1.5 says he is now the ruler of the kings of the earth. So if, for our listeners, my new book, Ruler of Kings, you mm. want to understand all the mistakes that we've been exposing here, get Ruler of Kings. Right. Get Mission of God. Read the books. Mm. Understand the position for yourself. Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth now. And he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in a spiritual realm beyond this earth. Mm. <laughs> or oh, oh, did I misquote that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, how difficult is that to exegete? You see, it's only if you're coming to scripture with false f- philosophical presuppositions and a non-biblical worldview that you run into confusion here. So we've got this false dichotomy and we've got how can we possibly, when Christ makes a claim here that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him, you look, you know, take, you can take Ephesians 1, you can take Colossians 1, uh, you can take Romans 11, 36, mm. you can take Revelation 1, you can take uh, 1 Corinthians 15, take your pick, uh, uh, Philippians 2, These are the passages which speak about the total authority, lordship, kingship now of the Lord Jesus Christ over all things. Book of Hebrews, of course, tells us everything's being made subject to him. Read the first few chapters of the book of Hebrews. And in the, the book of Hebrews, of course, we're told we don't yet see everything subject, right? Because it's a process within history that God This is why Paul says at the end, the kingdom is delivered to the Father. The last enemy to be defeated is death, so that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, Mm -hmm. and he shall reign forever. So the process of history is the process of all things being made subject to Christ until the consummation of all things when Christ completes that work and all things are subject to him. He hands them to the Father. That's the teaching of Scripture on this. And um, it's, it's incredible that, that any pastor, any leader could take the claim of Satan, the lies of Satan, the false manipulations of Satan over against the clear claims of the Lord Jesus Christ and side with Satan. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what's... Uh, what am I missing? Well, what, uh, that, that was pretty comprehensive. I would have said you don't like... Even in the passage that Pastor Miller was working from there, he started off by, by quoting Jesus saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand well what do you what is repentance mm. what what are you repenting of. from yeah what by uh, what are you repenting according to mm. if you're turning away from something you're all you're turning towards something else right you know what's the what's the content of that repentance in mm-hmm. light of yeah. the nature of the kingdom mm-hmm. yeah you know it's 
right there in mm-hmm. in the scriptures that he's working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that was uh, one of the uh, astonishing things. And you know, of course, we're only we're only very rarely, if ever, do we do we pick up names on our program mm-hmm. and actually we you know we talk about issues we mm-hmm. talk about the subjects we talk about the broad but we almost never talk about particular names we're only doing this in this context because uh, we were named the institute was named and it's illustrative so pastor miller is we don't want to single him out and say he's the only guy no. of course this is this is a persistent mm-hmm. gnawing mm-hmm. um uh, widespread problem across the churches of an inability to understand what the kingdom of God yeah. um, actually is, how the the, the 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 law of God relates to that, mm-hmm. and what our obligations as Christians are within the culture yeah. in terms of the gospel. I mean, later in this message, he makes the classic false separation of church, gospel, um, state, society, right. uh, as though the gospel only exists, the good news, the evangel, is a very narrow, truncated set of beliefs about personal justification, heaven and hell, and repentance, and so on, and faith. And has nothing to do with society. It has nothing to do with culture, family, education. The gospel has no implications there. So you, this is the idea. So this is what we talk about all of the time. That somehow the notion is that you can imprison the gospel into this private, pietized, internal motions of my mind or my heart. A heart misunderstood in the pietistic sense. Um, and it has no direct bearing on real life in the real world. Right. And and he falls into every single one of these false dichotomies indebted to the uh, the Greek philosophers. Right. Um, and uh, Ryan, when you're talking about you know what are we repenting of? That's absolutely critical because Paul the Apostle says, and you touched on it earlier, as though we can manage the subject of morality mm-hmm. without the law of God. Right. The Apostle Paul says categorically, I would not know sin but by the law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's when, in context, it's in concrete reference to the law of God, to the Decalogue, right, to the commandments. Um, and this is why the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, and this is an interesting point too because, again, Pastor Miller falsely suggests that um, the only text that supports the notion that God's law is abind- abiding or binding on the Christian is um, Jesus in in uh, Matthew uh, five seventeen. Do not think I've come to uh, abolish the law or the prophets. Mm-hmm. I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. Mm-hmm. And he wants to say, well, that's just about the promises. That's about the prophets, and you know, it's not about uh, the ratification of the law. Um, he doesn't actually, when he talks about completion or fulfillment, he doesn't actually deal with what those words really mean. Mm-hmm. That's how we, that's, if you look at the context, all you have to do is look at the passage itself of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. He's talking about the abiding validity of every jot, every tittle, every punctuation mark of the law Mm. of God till everything is accomplished. And he is the one who is the fullness of the law in himself. He's the living Torah. He brings it to completion in his life and work. He, he ratifies it, um, I've not come to abolish it. it and, 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 and all it would take would to go to even non-theonomic commentators like Thomas Schreiner and read, Jesus is not refuting the law of Moses in Matthew chapter 5. Right. He's refuting false interpretations of the scribes and the Pharisees and expounding as the greater Moses who goes up onto the mountain the real meaning of the law. 
And that's why he's its fulfillment, he's its completion. So the law is central because it's that law that we've broken. That breaking God's law means we're in the, we're in the grip of the lawless one. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Christ has come to redeem us, Scripture says, from all lawlessness. What? So that we can now, Christ has died at the cross and redeemed us so that we can now be lawbreakers and ignore right. God's law? Paul says, certainly not. Certainly not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. God forbid, Paul mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. So these are, and I think what's troubling is that these are the elementary right. basics of evangelical faith, mm-hmm. of rightly understanding law gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and it's disturbing, it's actually troubling that we have pastors who've been in ministry for decades mm-hmm. who do not understand the most elementary of these biblical teachings about the law and about right. the kingdom of and, God. And I'll uh, play that clip uh, regarding Matthew 5 in a moment, but just to add to what's troubling uh, to us specifically as a ministry, as Ryan knows this well, we so often talk to people who have applied for programs, are interested in the ministry, but they say, you know, I have one reservation. My pastor is telling me that you're dominionist and theonomous mm-hmm. and that I should stay away from you. Mm-hmm. And Ryan and I often spend some time clearly articulating what we believe as a ministry and inevitably, these applicants leave with, oh, that sounds thoroughly biblical. Sign me up. They come to our programs. Yep. They're now very good friends with us, and they're living for the Lord, mm-hmm. working to build his kingdom in their sphere. But it's, it's troubling in that we, we would like to work with these churches and pastors, right? We, we, we recognize that uh, the development of a distinct Christian worldview is lacking in our culture. We want to help pastors and churches that's right with their congregants but that isn't always the case yeah yeah and uh it's it's difficult to um it's difficult to in 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 to help churches that won't actually engage with the material itself right take Mm -hmm. the time to actually understand what and, and, a, and a good, really good question to ask oneself when you're listening to these sorts of things and you're trying to evaluate them biblically is Psalm 119 is the longest mm. chapter in the Bible. It's a celebration of God's law. Um, Jesus in Matthew 5 upholds the entirety of the law. Notice what Jesus says. He says, anyone who relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do likewise, will be called least where? In the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about the Older Testament. He's not talking about the Older Covenantal period. Mm -hmm. He says, if you relax God's law and teach other people to ignore it, Mm -hmm. you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. That is, well-meaning Christian people, confessors, professors of the faith. He's not talking about unbelievers. You will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches them, whoever teaches them and does them, who obeys God's word, God's law, and teaches others to do likewise is called what? Great in the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. What I'd want to know from these pastors and leaders is very simply, what so offends you about God's law? Mm -hmm. Is God immoral? Is God unjust? Is God unrighteous? Is the the law, and we'll come to it in a moment, that, that Paul is concerned to exegete in 1 Timothy 1, is it ungodly? Are you more holy than God? Mm. Are you more righteous than God? Are you more just than God? What is it about the Decalogue, about the, 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 the ten words, the ten commandments, and their implications for all of life, 
and the way in which God's people, as a chosen people, or uh, as a, as a royal priesthood and a holy nation, as we read in um, uh, Exodus nineteen, what is it about God's law that so offends you? We should all ask ourselves that question. If the righteousness of God is offensive to us, that we we dislike it and we dislike those that teach it, is the problem with God's law or is it with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also an interesting thought experiment to just say, all right, like Joe, Nate, like you guys have the opportunity to create exactly 10 principles, 10 laws that are going to govern society. Mm-hmm. What what are they going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, right. there, there's a model you could uh, you could refer to that. Mm-hmm. Which one would you change? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right. right, yeah, right. And I think that's that's perhaps the most vital that emerge, issue that emerges from all of this, Ryan. Which is, you have these people who are just so willing to tear down the biblical teaching of the kingdom of God and the law of God, but replace it with nothing. Mm-hmm. What should society live by then? Um, uh, Unfortunately, Pastor Miller claims that, you know, nobody's ever believed that God's law applies to society. (laughs) Post-nation of Israel. Post-nation of Israel. Nothing could be further from the truth. And that is just a betrayal, unfortunately, of the profundity of the ignorance of the pulpit in our time in the West. Um, I would say to anybody who thinks that, Go and read um, Dr. J- Professor Jonathan Burnside's book, God, Justice, and Society, yep. professor of biblical law at the University of Bristol. Mm-hmm. He's one of our fellows. If you want to understand the role, the role of biblical law in the history of the Western tradition, mm-hmm. it goes all the way back to uh, Alfred the Great. You can also read The Mission of God, because I deal copiously in there with the historical precedent of the use of God's law in and for society in the history of the West. That is actually, in the West, the use of God's law has been the dominant position. Mm-hmm. Pastor Miller's position is the post-enlightenment position that has developed in the contractarian world of those who don't want the law of God right. uh, involved in and governing society. So he could not be more in error. It's false teaching. Right. It's, 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 it, is, it is blatantly false that God's law has played no role in the development of our society and the Western legal tradition. The opposite is true. And that's what's so sad about this message. Right. Well, and I think there are so many Christians, Ryan, that don't have an answer to the question you just posed. This is why so many are content to have the state be the authority over so many aspects of our lives. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if, I'm, if I'm not to believe that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let me play this next clip. Fill them. Now, Theonomus would say, they, they, they changed the, the word here from fulfill. They changed that word here, and they have a different word they put in there. But they also have this idea they focus on the law. But the text says the law and prophets. The law and prophets is a phrase that's commonly used to refer to what? The scriptures. I think what Jesus is saying is, I have not come to abolish the scriptures, the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it, which he did, didn't he? Fulfilled every prophecy, every promise, everything that was lacking, he fulfilled it all. But as the theonomists would look at this, they contrast abolish here with fulfill, and they say they're opposites. Therefore, the definition of fulfill must be opposite of abolish. So a theonomist would translate fulfill as ratify. All right, not fulfill, but ratify. And so again, it's kind of important to understand this. The idea of ratify means to confirm. 
All right, and so uh, they, they would say he hasn't come to get rid of it. He's come to ratify, to reinforce it. It's called the idea of continuity. And there's a lot of stuff written on the continuity and discontinuity between the Old Covenant and New Covenant. So they would translate, the problem I have is when you look at all the lexicons, you have to search wide and far to find that word meaning ratify. That word, and it's all over the place, rather has the idea of fulfill or complete, to bring to an end. That's what the word means, all right? In, in most common uses, come true, I can go on. There's a bunch of different ways it's translated, but you really have to stretch it to get it mean ratify rather than the idea of fulfill or complete. I think Jesus is clearly saying here, he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it, to complete it, to bring what it was always pointing to, towards to fruition, that, that now the law is fulfilled in Christ. And so the idea, the biblical support that this verse would support, the idea that the law continues, the law given to Israel, the judicial law given to Israel and only to Israel now should be implemented in our society. So, again, we're, we didn't set out to pick on Pastor Miller, but, I don't know, he, he rang the doorbell, so he's going to get the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh... It, it's, um, so, so first of all, what he tries to do there in his interpretation of, um, uh, of not come to abolish, but to fulfill, not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill is essentially try and drive a wedge between law and prophets. Right. So he's saying, you know, well, no, what Jesus is really saying is he's come to fulfill the scriptures. So you minimize the idea that he's actually fulfilling, ratifying, uh, or putting into force the law in any way, or bringing it to its, uh, the fullness of its meaning, um, uh, that somehow this is just a more generic idea about uh, you know Jesus fulfilling uh, scriptures because really God's law was only ever given to Israel. Well, that's strange because um, the, the, the prophets say the coastlands wait for His law, uh, and um, the, the the prophet Amos right. prophesies to the pagan nations all around in terms of their rebellion against God's law. Mm-hmm. Prophet Jonah. And Jonah is sent to the heart of the Assyrian Empire, calling them to repentance. What? Repentance from their disobedience to natural law? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the Canaanites are pushed out and thrown out of the land, um, and uh, Israel is told, the same is going to happen to you if you, if you um, uh, disobey the Lord and practice all of the wickedness and evil of the Canaanites. The notion that God's law, you know, we, when you look at uh, Deuteronomy 4, for example, we see the calling of Israel as a kingly priesthood. When he called Israel out, this is what's so badly misunderstood. And I would encourage people, actually, if you have time, I preached this past Sunday at Westminster Chapel on Exodus chapter 19, and Israel's calling to be a kingly priesthood, a royal priesthood to God. When God calls Israel to be a kingly priesthood, he's calling them essentially to rule the earth as priests Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their prayers and service to God on behalf of the world. Mm-hmm. So if you're a priesthood, what are you doing? You're serving, you're mediating, right? For mm-hmm. what? Because God was adopting the whole earth when he adopted Israel. He doesn't adopt Israel and say, oh, I've got some special favorites. Let me have them. I don't like anybody else. Mm-hmm. No, he adopted... Yeah, quite the opposite, as the Lord says, you know, probably a dozen times. Right. <laughs> he calls Israel out. Uh, the people of God out so that they would be on mission Mm -hmm. to a purpose to be a kingly 
priesthood. When God adopted Israel, he was adopting the whole earth. And it says that the other nations will look at Israel and see who, who has a law like this law. It's right there in the text. Who has a God like this God? Who has a law like this God, God uh, this law? And then they will emulate it. Mm-hmm. They will copy it. They will bring themselves into obedience to the law of God. So this notion that God's law word is only for the, the, the primitive nation of Israel is utterly false. And the the Matthew chapter 5 makes crystal clear that the law and the prophets is not some um, generic reference to some general promises in the Bible, because Jesus goes on to say not one jot, not one stroke, not one punctuation mark of the law. And as I've already said, those who teach people to obey it and practice it will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So that the text itself demolishes everything that he's saying there. Second of all, what were the prophets doing? What was the mission of the prophets? Did the prophets just tour around um, uh, Israel or, uh, uh, and, and the nations, you know, sort of sharing their own parables? Mm. I mean, what was the message of the prophets? The message of the prophets was, you're in rebellion against God's law, repent. Mm. If you don't repent, you're going to be um, pushed into exile. You're going to be judged. The, the armies of Assyria or Babylon, they're coming. If you don't repent, if you don't get rid of your idols, if you don't stop disobeying the second commandment and this commandment and that commandment, you are going to be dispossessed. Repent. The whole message of the prophets is a call to return to the law of God and obedience. Look at Ezra Nehemiah. The name for, uh, Ezra is for the namesake of our organization. It's a, it's a call to the people to read the law, return to the law, and then to rebuild in terms of the righteousness of God. So the scriptures themselves mitigate, unfortunately, for Pastor Miller against everything that he is saying. And how he acknowledges in this sermon, and I think other pastors would probably acknowledge it, because you know they have very limited experience with these issues. They've had very limited time in them. We're in a situation now in the churches where... Even these most elementary principles of evangelical theology uh, seem to be being missed. And then those who actually uphold the law of God are seen as somehow outliers, people to be avoided, dangerous uh, dominionists who believe that when Christ tells us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven and take that seriously, that's somehow a bad thing. And that to obey Christ in teaching the nations everything he has commanded, everything he has commanded, which would include everything included in Matthew 5, that's a bad thing. And so there's too much in here for us to be able to address all of it. Maybe Mm -hmm. we can um, uh, come back to some of this next week. Mm -hmm. I'd like to spend more time next week with uh, how Paul dealt with this. We spent a lot of time with what Christ said and what the prophet said, but I'd like to... Mm. Move into how uh, how Paul dealt with this. Mm. Well, let's so uh, we'll do uh, just an idea. No, it's a yeah, good idea. Right. Let's do a second episode next week. Mm. We'll continue yeah. responding to some of these objections. Let me conclude with a quote uh, that I think is really helpful on all of this on this question of the kingdom mm. uh, from uh, uh, Stephen Perks's book, Disciple the Nations, when he's exegeting in great de- detail the meaning of the Great Commission from a scriptural standpoint. It's called Disciple the Nations by Stephen Perks. And, and he writes this, and uh, let, let's, um, we'll, we'll wrap up this, uh, this section where we've been talking about Christ and the kingdom and the law mm-hmm. uh, with this. He says, the word kingdom is a political word. The kingdom has a king. It has a population that is subject to the king. 
It has its own laws and social forms that embody and incarnate the law of the king in the various social relationships. A king, a kingdom, is a political arrangement of all parts of society as a distinctive social order at all levels, both individually and corporately. It is the same with the kingdom of God. And the Bible makes clear how the kingdom of God is to be governed and ordered, namely by means of the covenant that God has established with his people as their Lord and Savior. God always relates to man by means of covenant, and it is in the covenant that we find the details of how this kingdom is to be manifested as a distinctive social order, how God's people are to live as the kingdom of God. Mm. And that's the meaning of the kingdom of God. And at the table of the Lord, when we ratify that uh, week by week as, as God's people, and when Jesus uh, was with his disciples uh, at the Passover, and um, we know that covenant involves law and blood. And uh, the, the change that's going on there in, is the, in, in the, 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 as the writer of Hebrews says, the change that's going on there is in the priesthood. So the blood now is not the blood of bulls and goats. The fullness, the completion, the coming to completion of the law here, John Calvin talked about the transposing of the ceremonial law is being put into force in the intercession of Christ. Mm. The transposing of the law now is being is happening where the blood of Christ now, not the blood of bulls and goats, is sprinkled on the mercy seat. There's a change in the priesthood. That's where the change in the law is. We're not bound to the ceremonial practices of the priests and so on, because they were all a type and a shadow of their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, Jesus does not give 10 new commandments. He doesn't establish a new law because the law has already been given, but he ratifies the newer covenant in his blood. And with this is explicitly taught in scripture, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews chapter eight, the law of God that was written by the finger of God at Mount Sinai is now inscribed in our hearts. So there's a new location for the law now in the regenerate believer. Mm. No longer do we look to the tablets of stone in the Ark of the Covenant. The house, the house of Moses over which the writer of Hebrews says he was faithful. We now look to the greater Moses, the one who has more glory than Moses, the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his spirit takes that law, he inscribes it into the tablets of our own hearts. And the new blood of our great high priest, the, new, the newer covenant is the blood that takes away sin and redeems us from all lawlessness. Why? How? So that we might stand in the righteousness of Christ and that by his spirit, he might bring us into conformity with obedience to his, the fullness of his word. So that's why Paul says we are being conformed to the image of his son. So if I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, was Christ a lawbreaker? Did he disobey God's law? No, he didn't. He is the fullness of it. He's the completion of it. So that means that my life is going to reflect, reflect obedience to the law of God and the kingdom of God. Well, amen. Some beautiful truths there to end uh, this podcast with. And as you mentioned, Joe, there's so much more we need to address on this subject. So we are going to do that with next week's episode. And to thank you to our listeners for continuing to tune into the podcast and supporting the work of our ministry. If you want to dive uh, a bit deeper into the content we've been discussing today, you can do that by going to our website, ezrainstitute.com. You can search for Theonomy. There's uh, several resources you'll find there, a couple of previous podcasts we've done on the subject, as well as a couple of articles from Joe. 
But thank you again for joining us. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute, reminding you that from him, through him, and to him are all things to God be the glory.